Holly G with the Golf Insiders. It's the eve. Yes, we've been waiting. Years, months, days. The countdown is here, and the balls will be in the air. At okay, wait for one thirty a.m. tomorrow morning. So, depending Eastern time, depending on when you listen to this, who knows when you will?、Uh, you may be up early. Drinking a whole lot of Joe, or、uh, sipping on your favorite scotch if you're running the rerun tomorrow night. However, to break it all down, the 44th Ryder Cup. I'm pleased to have the one, the only senior contributor to SportsIllustrated.com and the czar of the stupid pool. He can explain that. Mr. Gary Van Sickle, hello, my friend. Wait, wait, it's it's Ryder Cup week. What? Uh oh. We're finally, finally here. The moment has arrived. I haven't even got my bets down yet. I got to get on it. Well, all right. The foursomes have been revealed. Should we take them from the top? Sure. You've got John Rahm and Terrell Hatton versus Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns. It's kind of interesting because you have two guys who are number one in the world, or have been, or will be, or still are. Take your pick. And you got Victor Hovland and Ludwig Abert versus Max, Max Homa and Brian the Bulldog Harmon. That's、uh, Victor Hovland is another guy who's probably you know number one in the world written all over him. Got Shane Lowry and Seth Straka. Straka is a surprise.、Uh, I think he could be this one of the surprises of the event against Ricky Fowler and Colin Morikawa. And then you've got、uh, Rory McIlroy. I can't believe he made the team again. And Tommy Fleetwood versus Xander Schauffele and Patrick Cantlay. So the American pairings were all we pretty much knew them already. The only mild surprise was that. You know, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas aren't playing foursomes, also, but I think that's probably a good move. But yeah, those are those are the things. You know, this never mind the actual matches because anything can happen at 18 holes. But just looking at the teams makes me go: John Rahm, Victor Hovland, and Rory McIlroy. Do the Americans? Have anybody who's better than either of those three guys? Horses. I, I, Horses. I don't, I don't think they. I don't think they. I don't think they do. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but Europe's got three big six in there, and、uh, the other guys are pretty good too. And Aberg is—he might be like Hoblin. He might be the next superstar in golf. So. I, I'm I'm high on Europe. Not that I'm not high on life. So, what do you think? I, you know, I thought maybe he'd put、uh, he'd put Brooks Kepka out.、Uh, you know, and again, there's been some conversation about the fact that Luke Donald mixed up the format,、um, starting out with. Forsens versus four ball matches. There's been some conversation about that. You know, typically they start with the four balls just to give guys, you know, time to 
you know, get into the matches, play their own golf ball. Uh, what say you, Mr. Van Sickle? You know, this, this format thing, every other captain changes it to whatever they think is their, to their advantage. And that's their prerogative. You know, there's been stretches where the, the Americans dominated in foursomes and were horrible in far ball and vice versa. So Luke Donald looks at this and thinks, I've got, we're better in foursomes on this course. So they're going to play it first because part of the unseen, I, I don't want to say it's a secret, but part of the Ryder Cup strategy is the team that, the team that falls behind feels the pressure. And if you fall behind early, you feel that pressure even, I mean, it just gets worse. Now, can you overcome it? Well, yeah, look what the Americans and the Europeans did in the Solheim Cup, the women. The Americans swept the opening session, and then what did they get outscored the rest of the way? Like 14 to, 14 to 10 or something. So it can be done, but it just, it just indicates Luke Donald thinks we got, we're better in forces. Okay, I mean, it's it's not a big deal. They they this goes back and forth all the time. I I don't know. You can think you're better than foursomes. Doesn't mean you are. Doesn't mean you're going to get the results. So here's an interesting uh, statistic on the Ryder Cup winning percentage. When the team wins, this is going back to I believe 1993. When the team wins the first match. Ryder Cup winning percentage, 61.5. When the team leads after session one, 60%. When the team leads after day one, almost 70%, 69.2. That's uh, some pretty significant uh, number crunching. Well, I'm going to quote... Forrest Gregg, the former Packers lineman and coach, because when I covered the Packers and he was the coach, and you asked him any kind of question like this, he had the standard answer of, history records the past, it does not predict the future. <laughs> well, I agree, I agree with him, but it's an interesting trend. And look, it goes into what I just said. If you're ahead, it's it puts the pressure on the other team and maybe makes them play worse. And that's why in Sunday singles, it's so important to get off to a fast start and get your get some red on the board or some blue on the board because that makes the other team's guys choke even more than they already are. And that's that's a big that's a key strategy in the in the Ryder Cup is get some get some blue on the board if you're Europe and put the pressure on the U.S. because it's a factor. And I would say that winning percentage stat of years, you know, belies that fact. So the Americans need to win 14 points to retain the cup and 14 and a half to win it outright. The Euros must win 14 and a half to regain hold. Uh, I'm curious, since you mentioned the Solheim Cup, which ended in a tie last Sunday... Uh, there's been some conversation about uh, thoughts on a tie. Curious if you have any. Well, it's classic crybabies on the American side. 
this is how it's been for almost 100 years in the Ryder Cup. And now when it finally happens to you, you're like, oh, that's not fair. This is how it's always been done. So what? You know, if you want to solve this and all these ideas, well, you could have so-and-so go out and play off. Well, we already saw Tiger Woods and Ernie Els in the President's Cup go out, and that did not seem right, put it on two guys. Why? Well, you know, I'm going to steal, I'm going to give credit where I got this idea from. Dottie Pepper tweeted this, that the defending champion team in the Solheim Cup start them off with a half, give them a half point for being defending champ. So now there's 28 and a half points for the Solheim Cup, and there's not going to be a tie. Problem solved because I don't think there's a playoff format that would be fair or equitable or would work or is going to finish before dark. I mean, uh, I know the pace of play, even in the Ryder Cup, is slow, but the Solheim pace of play was not good either, and that was a really hard golf course they had, and that was a big factor in it, but give the defending champ a half point, problem solved. Well, I think given the stature that, and the hype, and the, you know, global uh, uh, eyeballs on the Ryder Cup these days as, you know, one of the pinnacle uh, competitions of our sport, uh, you know, so many other U.S. sports have you know, changed how they approach ties, and uh, you know, just a, it, it seems like an interesting conversation if it's time for uh, the Solheim and Ryder Cups to adjust. Yeah, I, I would be, I, I like the half point thing. Uh, you know, Raymond Floyd, for years, he coached the uh, captain, I say coach, captain the 89 American team that played to a tie at the Belfry 89 that was pretty contentious with Seve Azinger and the drop and all that stuff. Uh, Raymond got very upset because years afterwards, yeah, you know, everybody talked about how the Americans lost. And he's like, we didn't lose, we tied. Well, you didn't win the cup, so that's a loss. So that's, it's, it's just, uh, it's semantics. You didn't win the cup, Okay. I, I just don't, you know, and, and given, you know, not to pick on the women, because they don't obviously get the media coverage the men get, but when they do, they really show their inexperience. You know, they're all upset that, gee, uh, Lexi Thompson got asked a hard question about shanking a chip shot that cost the team, a, you know, ultimately a full point, which, by the way, would have changed the outcome. You know, if an outfielder drops a fly ball to lose the game, He's going to get asked the most important thing that happened that day. He's going to get asked about it. And they acted like, oh, you can't, you can't ask her that. She, that was the story of the day. So that plus some of the other things that went on and plus crying about, oh, we, you know, we tied, that's not fair. I just think it's sour grapes. And it's the kind of thing that the European men and the women, but mainly the men, have always, they always, say about the American team, they're a bunch of spoiled, rich, arrogant guys who are uh, bad winners, so, uh, they're sore losers and worse winners. And of course, the Americans say the same thing about the European guys, but uh, the Ryder Cup gets personal, and uh, people take it personally, and they probably say stuff they shouldn't. You know, behind the scenes, 
it's appeared over the years that the Europeans have had this special bonding and, you know, have been a lot tighter, uh, if you will, than uh, the U.S. teams. You've covered a lot of Ryder Cups. Uh, I, I love to listen to Paul McGinley on Golf Channel because speaks his mind and sometimes reveals some things uh, that's going on across the pond that maybe we don't know. And he said perhaps things weren't, you know, quite as congenial as uh, we might think. And at the end of the day, these guys are, you know, they're alphas and they want to win. Oh, it's, that's absolutely true. And you go back to, I mean, 89, it started in the 80s. Look, when it got competitive in the 80s, when they changed it from Great GB and I, Great Britain, Great Britain and Ireland to Europe, and you brought in Seve and these guys, and they, they were tired of losing, they'd be in the doormat. And when it got competitive and they started winning, it, it, it got personal in a hurry. And there's a lot of stories about that in the 80s. But 89 was really extremely contentious with the stuff that went in. And, you know, I was working at Golf World magazine, and our uh, managing editor coined the phrase war by the shore in our preview issue. And that really nailed it because that's what it was. And there were a lot of stuff went on there that week. The Europeans weren't happy that Steve Bates sat out after he was in a car accident like he got hurt in a car accident going to the party the one night. And then he tried to play Saturday afternoon and played. And then he sat out Sunday, and they, the Europeans accused him of, you know, trying to steal half a point for the U.S. team. And, you know, Americans thought the same thing when, uh, in 93 when San Torrance suddenly had a, a bad toe and couldn't play Sunday. Lanny was going to play, Lanny Watkins was going to play Seve to match. He really wanted to play, and he volunteered to sit out. And then, you know, Jim Gallagher wound up beating Seve. But it goes on, it goes on and on. Seve and Azinger really went at it. Uh, Seve complained about Azinger's drop on 18 a couple of years after that. And then Azinger had some stories on Seve. Then in 91 at Kiowa, uh, you know, well, this a, it's a long story. I'll go into it, but... Uh, the match where Azinger and Chip Beck got called for switching compression balls on the par three. They, you know, used a 90 instead of 100, which you can't do. And Ollie called him out, I think, on the 11th or 12th hole. Well, it was too late to call a pin, but you had to call it the next hole. The point is, on the first six or seven holes, Seve and Jose broke the rules three times. And got away with it each time. One of the times they're looking for Subby's ball in a hazard. The official said, five minutes is up, that's it. They find Subby's ball 20 seconds later. They let him play it. Oh, by the way, it was a European rules official in that match. So that's the kind of stuff that goes on and on. That's why it gets personal. That's why it gets heated. You know, uh, these guys show their competitive edge. I mean, is anybody on the American team going to like Ian Poulter making a pot and then just screaming, come on! <laughs> you know, it just, it makes you, you know, it makes you not want to like him if you're on the other side. It's, uh, you think anybody in the American team ever liked watching, playing, watching or playing against Sergio or Monty or, uh, you know, even Westwood and Darren Clark? I mean, it's, it's, 
it's do or die. That's what makes it so great. And speaking of some of those stalwarts from the European side uh, who are sitting it out uh, and sitting on the couch watching the 44th Ryder Cup matches, or will be, uh, you know, the likes of Sergio, etc., who took the choice to go to live. Henrik Stenson giving up his captaincy, uh, you know, Poulter. I mean, these guys, they got to be feeling some something in their gut. Yeah, I think they all, I think Rory said something to that effect yesterday that these this week these guys are realizing, yeah, I now I, maybe now I regret it because they're not part of this anymore and they're not going to probably be captains. I don't know, maybe there'll be some great reconciliation, but I, I don't know if there will be. So uh, Luke Donald said, you know, a month before about this, he goes, well, there's nobody on live that would help us, so... And he's probably right. You know, Sergio hasn't hasn't played all that great. He's not in a 48-man event. I, he, he hasn't he hasn't won any of them. Um, they're not really missing anybody. Uh, they might miss his presence as a vice captain and, and some of that. But you know, Sergio could have partnered with Brom probably, and that would have been functional. But not like Sergio was, oh, boy, we're really going to miss him this year. He hasn't played that great. So he's at that age where, you know, that's why one of the reasons he went to live. Hey, I can go to live, get a guaranteed check, and not have to work as hard. It's great. I, You know, I think a lot of guys who offered that deal were smart to take it. I think he was one of them. John Rahm revealed in his press conference that he had indeed spoken to Sergio this week. Uh, what what kind of coaching do you think he was getting from Sergio? Well, he's probably learned from Seve. Make sure you cough during the other guy's backswing. <laughs> oh, sorry. On the first team, before you go out, you say, oh, sorry, I, I have cold. I try not to cough today, but, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Seve was famous for that. He <laughs> coughed a lot. He always had a – suddenly had a cold during Ryder Cup week. But I don't know. Is there – Look, you talk about the difference, the edge that Europe discovered in the eight, in the 90s and in the 2000s. I thought in this NBC conference call, John Wood, the former caddy who now works for NBC, he finally, to me, solved the mystery of what I've been saying for 20 years. The Europeans show up with a bunch of guys, some of whom aren't very good putters, and I'm by Sergio, Monty, Lee Westwood, uh, Darren Clark, and they get to the Ryder Cup, and these guys make everything. What's going on, and what do they do? I, I thought there was some strategy or something. Maybe it's just match play, you're more aggressive. And if you miss, I'll let the other guy make the three-pointer coming back, not worried about it. And he said, the Europeans in practice rounds take so much time on the green, they're out there charting all the, all the reads to all the pin positions they think might be used, or maybe they know the pin positions that are going to be used. And he says they're, they're slow as heck. They take forever. And the Americans don't, don't do that. And how many Ryder Cups have we seen? The Europeans put the lights out the first two days, and then the third day uh, the Americans finally have the field to the greens, and they start making some, but it's too late. So to me, in my mind, John Wood just solved the mystery these guys outwork the Americans on the greens. 
They know the lines, and because they know the lines, they're confident, and they and they putt better. And they become, you know, these guys who are average putters turn into supermen in the in the Ryder Cup. So I, I thought, you know, John Wood does a good job on TV, but uh, I mean, a great job probably. He, he's he's great. That's great insight from a caddy. I've never heard anybody say that. It's like to me that answers the question of why they have an edge because. They're gonna put. They're gonna put well because they know that they know the reads. And you know, you fly in on Monday and get a look at the course for a couple of days. And you and, and those guys usually go over. Europeans usually at least come over and play a couple of times, or maybe they have a tournament at the site. They they they've got the greens figured out better than the Americans, and they've 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 ridden that to the bank. So. The big question, how do Americans silence the home crowd in Rome, Gary? Uh, I can't think of any more passionate, uh, expressive, emotional fans than the Italians. And, of course, there will be many from all over Europe. And you're not, you're not going to silence them. They're still going to sing. They're going to do all the stuff they always do. That's just part of the atmosphere, you know. If you're an Oklahoma fan and when you're playing Texas at, you know, in Dallas, how do you silence the crowd? You beat them. That's that's the only thing you can do, and you got to take what they yell and, and live with it. I mean, the, the Europeans had the same thing at Whistling Straits. There was a lot of, uh, what, I don't know what the word is, a lot of things coming out of that supposedly genteel Wisconsin crowd even in practice rounds toward the Europeans that were pretty unsavory and kind of embarrassingly uh, embarrassingly rude, but that's that's the Ryder Cup. The fans take it, you know, in this day and age, you listen to talk radio and there's all this strong talk and arguments and people think they can go to the golf tournaments and at the Ryder Cup especially and, and say whatever they want. So that's just part of it. These guys are are used to it, and if not, they better get used to it because they're going to hear it whether they're winning or not. So you just you just have to tune them out. But they're not going to silence the crowd. The only thing you can do is win your match. You know, give them their give them their due. You know, give them your respect. Give the crowd your respect. That's all you can do. You know, the Europeans in past years, so, you know, when the Americans weren't signing autographs, Europeans would come to the U.S. for a Ryder Cup, and they'll sit around and sign autographs and try to curry favor with the crowd. You should be trying to do anything you can to curry favor with the crowd. If that means throwing out T-shirts or something, maybe they ought to think about that. But you're not going to silence them. It's going to be loud, and they're going to be against you. That's, that's okay. Even Luke Donald, who I don't consider the most rah-rah kind of captain, was out there juicing up the crowd. Well, uh, you know, he knows Paul Lazier called the crowd in Kentucky the, the 13th man. And they had a pep rally, and that's what the whole message of that pep rally was. And, and of course, they had two guys from Kentucky on his team, J.B. Holmes and Kenny Perry, and that helped. But Paul Lazier in 2008 used the crowd as the 13th man, and, and it paid off for him. So uh, Luke Donald is not... He's not. He's a good captain, and he made some good picks. And 
they both got good teams. So I, that, the exciting part is let's let's get this ball in the air and see what's going to happen. Well, if it comes down to those final singles matches on Sunday, if it should be that close, which we hope for. It was interesting, Brooks Kepka was asked in the press conference who he thought of the guys on the team really wanted to be in that hot seat. And he didn't say many, but I think uh, Zach could probably count on Brooks. What do you think? He plays his best in the majors when he's on the hot seat. So to him, you know, somebody like Tiger, that's what they live for, you know, or even Phil. Now, Phil hasn't. The Ryder Cup is not part of it, really his legacy. But those guys want the stage. They want their, they want their chance to show off. They want their chance to beat somebody. I, I think that's true. I mean, you, you seem like you have a lot of guys who are, you know, Brian Harmon would be one of them. He'd, li- he'd like the ball. He'd like to be in the deciding match. He'd love that. You know, Easinger in 93 said, uh, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a close one. And so, you know, Lanny Watson, Tom Watson, the captain, asked Easinger if he mind, I'm putting you off last. You have a problem with that? And he said, no, I, that's great. So they thought it was that close. That might be the deciding match. He wanted to play foul, though. And then Lanny or somebody said, "Well, we also we wanted to pick somebody, somebody who, in case, in case their match lost the Ryder Cup, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't ruin their career." And you know, Asian goes, "Well, it's a cheap thanks for the lot of confidence, Lanny." Um, hmm? but, you know, it's a joke. He, he'll be all laugh. Right. But, yeah, uh, Scotty Scheffler. I don't know. He, his putter didn't look great. This is a putting contest. Sam Burns. Max Homa, Ricky Fowler, you know, he's done all right. Morikawa, probably. Shuffle and Cantlay, yeah, Cantlay, definitely. I don't know. I mean, how tough are the Americans? How tough are the, you know, once you get past those Rom, Hovland, Lowry, and McElroy, how tough are, how tough are the rest of the teams, the rest of the guys on the European team? Does any of those guys want the last spot? I don't know. I, I would say in any given year, probably not even half the team really wants to be that guy in that deciding match. Because it's not it's not pleasant. Look, we still talk about Bernhard Lahner in, in 91 Aquila. That's right. It's not you know, 30 years later, it hadn't gone away. And right. I bet he hadn't gone a day without thinking about it. Speaking of which, Rory didn't have his best Ryder Cup two years ago. Was pretty emotional after it was over. Uh, you think Rory's got a little chip on his shoulder coming back for these matches. You would think so. I, the big issue is, you know, he tweaked his back at the end of the season here and had a tender back. Now, he's probably had to rest. I'm sure he's been working at it, getting, getting therapy. You know, he's kind of a question mark, given, you know, his health is kind of a question mark. Is he okay? I'm sure he said he's okay, but is he really okay? You can be okay, but it can still affect your game a little bit. I don't know. Uh, I, I think it is, uh, those guys aren't used to losing. The, the, you know, I'm, Poulter was like, oh, this really hurts. So, you know, I haven't felt this very often because he's like five or five and one or six and one as a Ryder Cup player. Uh, those Europeans aren't used to losing, and they, that really stung them to get trounced at Whistling Straits. So, and Rory embodied it with his cheerful 
interview on TV. So, yeah, he's absolutely got a chip on his shoulder, but it, it may be diminished by the fact that, you know, hopefully his back is not going to affect how he plays. Are you surprised that he's paired up with Fleetwood? Uh, I don't know. you got to put him with somebody. I mean, I'm almost a little surprised that Lowry's going out because he hasn't had his banner year, and he's going out in foursomes where you, you can't hide an alternate shot. So, uh, I don't know. Who else are you going to put? I mean, look, they – this whole Ryder Cup thing is that the captains only – only thing they care about are, are pairings. They, you know, as media people, we look at who's playing hot. That's who we think should be in the team, whether it's Tegan Bradley or Lucas Glover. They look at pairings and who plays well with each other and who gets along with each other, which is why, you know, Zach Johnson, you know, he was going to pick Spieth, so he wanted Justin Thomas, even though JT's had a, a poor year by his standards. So, they have a different view of things. I, I feel like Tommy Fleetwood can play with anybody, and I gotta feel like Kevin Rory have his back has gotta make Tommy Fleetwood feel invincible. So I don't, I don't know. I, all the teams look good on paper until you send them out. You know, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson as a team look pretty good too. Then they went out the golf course, and uh, you know, it didn't it didn't work out. Well, speaking of looking good, Sam Burns. Looking a little like uh, Cam Smith with this mullet or whatever uh, haircut he's gotten with the USA engraved in the side of his of his head. Um, Kepka said Sam has got a nice Kentucky waterfall going. Say what? That's a good one. What? <laughs> I have not heard a mullet called a Kentucky waterfall. That's that's a good one. Well, well, looking at the American squad at the opening ceremonies, um, they they definitely had their their best quaffs going on there. Uh, yeah. And we'll see if uh, uh, the best looking team wins. At the end of the day, yeah. as you know, Gary Van Sickle, being the great player that you are, you got to let the clubs do the talking. So it's that time. Throw your dart. I like Europe. They always went over there. They'll have this course set up to their own advantage. They got the home crowd. And I don't see how you look at this and think the USA has a better team. I want to know where all the people were from two years ago. said, oh, the U.S. has a dynasty now. They're going to be hard to beat for 10 years. Uh, that didn't happen. I thought that was a lot of – I mean, it, yeah, they caught – Europe had – that was a – blowout for a reason. That was a European team that was caught between eras. They aren't caught between eras now, and, you know, the USA doesn't really, you know, again, they, they don't have a, I don't want to say Scotty Scheffler's not a superstar, because he's a he's a big star, but he's, uh, he's not winning everything. John Rahm is in, in Victor Hovland. So you can ride four horses pretty hard and win this thing. And I think Europe's got, got better, a couple of bigger, better horses. All right, so uh, you're going with Europe. And uh, who are you taking Sunday, the Bills or the Dolphins? I digress, but I got to know. Oh, I... Uh, Dolphins. Ouch! 
All right. It's my bills. We're on. Like it's a long season. All you got to do is make the playoffs. You don't have to go 17 and 0. All right. That's it. We're leaving it there. Jerry Van Sickle from SI.com. We always appreciate your time. Thanks, my friend.